the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Because they had grown up in this culture where kind of everything goes, now they get saved, they come into the church, all they've known is the standard of Rome, and they're writing Paul and they're saying, well, what is God's standard? What does God think about this? And what does God think about that? And so Paul's going to address some of those things. But again, a majority of these people, they're, they're young believers, they're new believers, They're Gentiles. They didn't have the law of God. They didn't know what God's standard was. So a lot of the way that they live is completely out of ignorance. What is God's standard for life and godliness? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he encourages you to understand the Word of God. In the Bible is where you will find all of God's wisdom and instruction for how to live this life. Pastor Gary urges you to live your life in such a way that glorifies and points to the Lord. There's the way that the world says to live, and then there's the way of the Lord. Do the best that you can to continuously align yourself with Scripture. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The first six chapters of 1 Corinthians were basically Paul's spanking of the Corinthian church. This is a corrective epistle. They were doing some things that were out of order. Uh, Some of those things were out of disobedience. Some of those things were out of ignorance. There's a little bit of both of those things in our lives, probably, if we're honest. Some things we do that are sin against the Lord, and we do it out of ignorance. We just didn't know. And other things we do, and we know what we're doing. And that's the Corinthian church. And so Paul writes a corrective epistle here, and he takes the first six chapters to deal with issues about division and and disunity that was among them, matters of immaturity and even immorality. This letter of 1 Corinthians is not a Hallmark card. It is a report card from your teacher, and it's not a very good report card. And so he's addressing all these various issues. Now, again, as a backdrop, because it's important to understand chapter 7, really the whole letter, but particularly chapter 7 tonight, the backdrop of the makeup of this church was that it was comprised of a few Jews, the letter tells us, and predominantly Gentile converts. That's the makeup of this fellowship. A few Jews and predominantly Gentile converts. Now, why is that important? Because the majority of the people of the church of Corinth did not have an understanding of God or His law. They were mostly non-Jews. Goyim, 
They were Gentiles. So they were not familiar with the commandments of God. They were not familiar with the standards of God. The majority of this church, all they knew is the way they had grown up. And this is first century Roman Empire. They had grown up in the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about the history of the Roman Empire, they had been exposed to some pretty incredible hedonistic immorality. In fact, if you study your history, most historians, at least the ancient historians, kind of, kind of, you know, there's a lot of modern revisionism going on these days lately, even in our own schools today. But ancient historians attributed, in part, the fall of Rome to the immorality of that nation, of that empire. In fact, a 5th century historian, Salvinian, wrote this, quote, O Roman people, be ashamed. Be ashamed of your lives. Almost no cities are free of evil dens. Let nobody think otherwise. The vices of our bad lives have alone conquered us. End quote. So, the majority of the people in this church, though they were now saved... They had grown up in this Roman hedonistic culture where kind of everything goes. It's not too unlike our own day, by the way. There's a lot of parallels. And because they had grown up in this culture where kind of everything goes, now they get saved, they come into the church. All they've known is the standard of Rome. And they're writing Paul and they're saying, well, what is God's standard? What does God think about this? And what does God think about that? And so Paul's going to address some of those things. But again, a majority of these people, they're, they're young believers. They're new believers. They're Gentiles. They didn't have the law of God. They didn't know what God's standard was. So a lot of the way that they live is completely out of ignorance. And we understand. Because in any given church, and there's no difference here in ours, some of you are like the Jews of this church of Corinth. You know the law of God. You have a relationship with God. You understand the commands of God. Others of you are like the Gentiles in this church. You really don't understand the laws of God. You're new in your faith, or you don't even profess to be a believer. And so out of ignorance, you don't understand some of the things that God requires. And so tonight, as we look into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I just want to kind of warn you right up front, we're going to read some things that some of you, if you didn't understand what God's standard is about some things, you're going to look at this and you're going to go, what? What? What are you talking about? Because today's topic, all of chapter 7, has to do with singleness, marriage, sex, and divorce. We're in for a good night, friends. <laughs> singleness, marriage, sex, and divorce. I don't know if we'll get through the whole chapter. We're going to take our time. But it's going to be a rich study tonight. So while I pray, if any of you are feeling uncomfortable, you can get up and leave. But this is going to be the topic. Nobody will be looking as we pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time now as we open up Scripture, as we look here into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we deal with topics that we are also familiar with in our own day, the topics of singleness and marriage, sex, divorce. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the handbook. And right here in 1 Corinthians 7, so much information to help us. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who already know these things, that we would be diligent to keep these things. And for those of us tonight who didn't even understand this stuff before this study, that their hearts would be open. And as young believers, as a new believer, that they would be willing to do what you say. Even though, Lord, even in our day, some of these things would be unpopular and uncommon, 
We thank you again, as we talked about on Sunday, Lord, that you call us sometimes to that road less traveled, that we might be blessed. And I pray that everybody here who is willing to do what you say in your word would understand, Lord, that when we do what you say, there's there's within that a blessing. And so, Lord, may you bless us and may you help us to do all that you say. And we give you the glory and the praise and the thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let me read the first eight verses, and then we'll, we'll back up and, uh, and, and dig this out and uh, see how far we get through the whole chapter tonight. So here's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. All right, so tonight we're going to talk about singleness, marriage, sex, and divorce. Why all the confusion? This was one of the topics they wrote to Paul about. That's the way verse 1 begins when he says, now to the matters that you wrote about. So this is an issue. The whole concept of relationships and your status in life, married, singled, what about sex? What about divorce? When, is God said, when, when does God say that's permissible? When not? All this stuff. Why all the confusion? Here's the reason. First of all, again, as I alluded to a moment ago, they didn't understand. Most of them did not understand God's views. So they were confused. They came out of the Roman culture, and now they're like, okay, Paul, help us understand what does God say about these issues? And the other reason that there was some confusion is because they had some conflict and some incorrect views in the church about things physical and or sensual. And basically the confusion were these two points. First, there were some in the church that said the physical doesn't matter. It's all about the spiritual, so it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Now that sounds really hyper-spiritual, doesn't it? And that's because it is. Uh, It sounds super spiritual, and these people who thought, well, you know what, the physical body doesn't really matter, it's all about the spirit, it's all about the soul, it's all about communing with God, you know, right, okay? And so, so because people thought that, these were the very people who were indulging in sexual immorality, because they're thinking, it's, it's not about the body, it's all about the spirit, God only cares about the spirit, doesn't really matter about the body, so they were doing all kinds of things. So that's a wrong view. And then the other wrong view they had was something called asceticism back in the day. And asceticism basically was the view that your body and all its physical urges and pleasures are evil. And they actually believed in the church that even Christians who are married should not be having sex. That was a common view back in the day. Because it's the idea, it's the other extreme. It's like, well, everything physical is dirty and evil, and so you have to restrain all pleasures, all desires, all urges. Not all, did I do something there? Okay. Not all desires, not all pleasures of the body are evil. We understand that. God has given us some of those natural desires. 
And we have to understand what are right desires to act upon, what are wrong desires to not act upon. But to say that your body and all physical urges and desires are evil, that's erroneous as well. So they had bought into these things. Now, to make matters worse, there are four kinds of marriages in the Roman Empire. And so the early church didn't understand, the church in Corinth, what is an acceptable form of marriage that God would accept. Here are the four kinds of marriages that were common in the first century Roman Empire. The first is called something called the tent companionship. This is where masters arranged marriages for their slaves. And as you all know, historically, the Roman Empire was an empire that was economically sustained by slavery. And slavery was a component that led to its downfall because it's an inhumane thing. And in this particular time in the Roman Empire, there were hundreds of thousands of slaves. And many of the slaves back in first century were Christians. So when a master would arrange a marriage with slaves and say, you're one, and now you get saved and you come into the church, you're wondering, is my marriage legit? Does God honor this? Is it okay? Second kind of marriage in the Roman Empire was something called common law marriage. We have this today. We're familiar with this in our own day. It was this, that if you lived with a woman, if you were a man, you lived with a woman, a woman who lived with a man, and you lived together for more than one year, the government saw you as married in its eyes. And you had all the rights and privileges of marriage because you had been living together and playing house for at least a year. Now, you might be interested to know that even in the United States, there are about 15 states that accept common law marriage. That if you are living together for at least a year or more, you have all the rights and privileges of marriage. About 15 states in the District of Columbia. Uh, Virginia is not one of them, by the way. And even more amazingly, neither is West Virginia. (laughs) But they do have a cousin cohabitation rule. Arranged marriages. There were also arranged marriages. Where, and this is one of the most tragic form of marriages in the first century Roman Empire. This was basically called marriage for sale. And what would happen is a father would sell his daughter into marriage because the family got under financial hardship. Isn't that terrible? But that's what you would do. And a father would sell his daughter in marriage to the highest bidder. It was all a, a business transaction. That's all it was. But you had people like this coming into the church at Corinth who were wondering, is my marriage legit? My dad sold me into a marriage. And so now are we seen as married in God's eyes? And then the last form of marriage here is what we call the traditional marriage. This was a marriage that was really reserved for the nobility of Rome. It was a very sophisticated ceremony. It was sanctioned by the government. Interestingly, as part of the traditional marriage ceremony, they would exchange rings. They would have a cake. The woman would wear a veil. They would hold right hands together and exchange verbal vows. And they would even hire a DJ. (laughs) Well, they would have music, but it's the same thing. Now, When I list all those things, does that sound familiar? Because actually our common traditional wedding ceremony 
in our Western culture was adapted from the traditional ceremony of the Roman Empire. But a few caveats, obviously, as a Christian marriage, you know, you, you incorporate scripture and it's before God and it is, you know, something that you do to honor and you're, you're being united according to the scriptural basis of marriage. But some of those components, when you ask, you know, why the exchange of rings? Why does a woman wear a veil? Why do we have a cake? Why do we have music? Those things are actually carryovers of the ancient Roman Empire and the traditional marriage ceremony. Now, you've got all four of these kinds of marriages represented in your church. You got people coming in who, A, are confused about the whole physical thing, what is okay physically and sexually and, and asceticism and all that stuff. And you've got these four different kinds of marriages that have been performed. And so people are coming into your church, they got some questions. That's why all the confusion here. They are wondering things like, if you are really married, is sex okay? Because of the confusion of the, the body versus the spirit. If you got married under one of those wrong ways, should you get a divorce? That's also what they were wondering. Should we get divorced, get married the right way? If you're a Christian now and your spouse is not, is that a reason to get divorced? That's in this chapter too. They had that question. And they also wondered, maybe you just shouldn't get married at all. Maybe it's just better to be single and celibate. And that's what they were thinking as well. So Paul's going to address that also. So it's all in here, which is why, given all of that, that Paul starts out there, look at verse one again, Paul starts out by saying, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. (laughs) What? What in the world does that mean? All right, little Greek lesson, friends. You're the Wednesday night crowd. You guys like to dig it out a little bit deeper. So we got to go deeper to understand this one, because this looks really bad, doesn't it? It is good for a man not to marry. Some of you are like, what? And others of you are like, mm-hmm, I told you so, you know? <laughs> it's so funny, you know, the, the, the longer you're married, you kind of get into a routine of things. And at Thanksgiving, we, we commonly go around our table and everybody says what they're thankful for. And so my wife said, okay, let's go around the table and say what we're all thankful for. And her dad, my father-in-law, pointed to my mother-in-law and said, same old thing. <laughs> It was cute. We knew it. I mean, it was just, he's thankful for his wife. I'm like, do I have to say this again every Thanksgiving? <laughs> so in the NIV, which is a translation that I'm reading from, it says it is good for a man not to marry. If you have a King James Bible, who has a good King James English? Let me see you in the house. All right. It doesn't say it is good for a man not to marry. King James Bible says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now you say to me, that's better? What? That sounds even worse. <laughs> Can't even touch the girl. Okay, now here's where we need to understand Greek, because the, the word to touch in our English is the Greek word haptomei. And haptomei means to set on fire or to kindle. <laughs> Come on, baby, light my fire. You got that tune in your head? Because that's what he's saying here. What he's saying is, and this is a good answer for those of you who are single and you want to know, what's the line? Okay, if you're single and you're dating someone, you're, you're with someone in a relationship, and you want to know what is the physical boundary? What is acceptable to God? And how far is too far? I'm going to answer it for you because Paul answers it for us right here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. The answer is this. A man should not arouse a woman he is not married to. That's what that verse literally means. Do not kindle a fire 
in a woman you're not married to. Now, how does that help us understand where the line is? Because now you need to be brutally honest in your relationship as a single person with another person. At what point do you start to get aroused when you physically, you know, start to get together? Okay. And I know people because they know that that point can be arrived at very, very quickly who have even said to me as believers, we're not even going to kiss until we get married. Now, I know some of you think that's prude, but see, the people who have often shared that story with me are people who have crossed physical boundaries in the past, and so they want to start a new one unspoiled. And they know that if they start doing anything physically, it's going to lead down that path of arousal. Before you know it, they're going to be in bed together. And so what some people, I'm not saying this has to be the boundary for you, but some people, even in their own desire to stay pure before God, have said, we're not even going to kiss before we get married. Okay, That's rare, but I applaud that as some convictions that some people have. I will say this, and I've said this to young couples who are wanting to get married and and people who are dating together, I will say this. If you're honest, if you're really honest about at what point you start to get aroused, my opinion is, and I've never had anybody disagree with me, it has to stop at kissing because after kissing, anything else happens. And even in kissing, you have to, you have to be careful because that can also lead to arousal. And at that point now, you're, you're heading down a path of kindling, of kindling the flame. So I don't want to be the standard bearer for you by saying, don't do this and don't do that. But I will try to tell you as best as I can that when the Bible says we are not to arouse another that we're not married to, I don't see how people can, can think that anything else physically could be acceptable beyond kissing. Touching, all that becomes arousing. And obviously anything beyond that, sex itself is, is the epitome of arousal. So as Christians, again, this is not a standard for the world. It's a standard for God's people who want to live life God's way and who want to honor God with their lives and their relationships and their bodies. If you're not married to someone, do not arouse them. That's what the Bible says. Now again, some of you are like, what? That's what the Bible says. Why do you think the Bible says that? Let me tell you why the Bible says it. Because God wants you to enjoy His best. And you will never be able to enjoy His best if you violate it before. Now, I don't want to shame anybody because I know many people have crossed certain physical lines and boundaries, okay? And a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter 6, we talked about praying a prayer and asking God to forgive us and to break the bond that is created by the soul ties that happen when we physically, uh, sexually get involved with other people. Uh, But I'm simply speaking to those of you who want to start afresh or who have never uh, spoiled yourselves physically that it is important that if you really want God's blessing in your relationship, you honor God and you do it God's way. That's the way it works. God is not a big killjoy. He wants his best for you. And we cannot rob ourselves of his best by deciding that we're just going to do it our way. That's what will happen. We'll rob ourselves of God's best. So as prude as it sounds to some, as antiquated as it sounds to some, My challenge to you, if you're single and a Christian, 
is to keep yourselves until you get married. And if you've already lost your virginity, and you've already crossed the line physically, pray and ask the Lord to forgive you and start afresh. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we dig into the book of 1 Corinthians. The issues and situations that Paul was addressing in this letter to the Corinthian church are the same issues that churches face today. It's bold and courageous that Paul faced those things head on, and it would be negligent for churches today to not do the same. Despite the idolatry and sin that was running rampant in this culture, Paul encouraged the believers to be a light that shines in a dark world. You can be this today, in the dark world that surrounds you. Be a light that glows brilliantly and stands out against the dark blanket of sin that surrounds you. If you're ever in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., or join us for Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to hear your story and how you came to know about the radio ministry of Cornerstone Connection. Find out more details, such as where we're located, at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. But join us next time to learn more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.